Hello and welcome to Glasgow City Heritage Trust podcast, If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a new series about the relationships, stories and shared memories that exist between Glasgow's historic buildings and people. Hello, I'm Neil Murphy and welcome to If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a podcast by Glasgow City Heritage Trust about the stories and relationships between historic buildings and people in Glasgow. Today we will be talking about tenements in Glasgow and about what it is like living in a tenement now compared to living in one at the start of the 20th century. So Glasgow is a tenement city par excellence and I imagine most of our listeners probably live in a tenement as do I. Tenements are a core focus for Glasgow City Heritage Trust Building Repair Grant Program. And the reason for that is the tenement is the traditional form of urban housing in Scotland and housed all classes of people covering the full spectrum of domestic life. As such, it helps undergird Scotland's urban culture. So stone facades of tenements have helped define Glasgow's streets since the 17th century. And nowadays, roughly 73% of Glaswegians live in a tenement, a figure that was even higher before the 1950s. So what exactly is a tenement? Well, it is an idea which dates to the Roman Empire and comes from the Latin word tenementum or holding, which referred to Rome's great insulae, where multiple tenements were packed into these tall tenement-like buildings, generating rent for the building's owner. However, this image of the tenement only really takes hold in the latter part of the 19th century, and is a consequence of how our tenements evolved to accommodate the vast influx of people who, after the Industrial Revolution, came to Glasgow to work in the city's factories, mills, and shipyards. During this time, Glasgow's population grew from a quarter of a million at the start of Queen Victoria's reign to 760,000 at the end of it. All those people had to be housed somewhere, and it had to be done in a way that prevented overcrowding, disease, and epidemics. So this was done via a combination of statutory requirements laid down by various police acts, which govern things like cleanliness, ventilation, access to daylight, and is the reason why we have things such as wally closes, which were easy to clean, and toilets and tenements. So the turn of the 20th century represented a golden age for the Glasgow tenement, with the construction for rent of top-of-the-line tenements with all mod cons in middle-class areas such as Pollock Shields and Hindland, while the City Improvement Trust was also building model working-class tenements in areas such as Trongate, Cowcaddens, and the Gorbals. Sadly, all this came to a halt when an incremental tax on property speculation in Lloyd George's People's Budget of 1909-10 put an end to tenement construction in Glasgow. Not only did this limit housing supply in an overcrowded city, unfortunately those problems were compounded by what happened in the First World War. So to combat landlords profiteering while their men were out at the front, in 1915, under the leadership of Mary Barber, Glasgow's working-class women went on a rent strike, which soon spread to other working-class communities in the UK. So this resulted in the Rents and Mortgage Interest Restriction Act of 1915. Initially temporary, parts of this act were not repealed until 1989. So the unintended consequence for Glasgow, you know, while this act was a good thing, the unintended consequence was that the cap on rents stymied Glasgow's factoring profession, who collected rents and maintained the tenements for the owners. So even though Glasgow's tenements were very well built, this led to a cycle of neglect and decline over many decades thereafter. So by the 1950s, this neglect was coming home to roost, but rather than pay for the repairs, most owners decided to sell their tenements to their tenants, thus fragmenting ownership 
and making the coordination of maintenance even more difficult. So in response to the poor condition of Glasgow's tenements, the corporation declared 27 comprehensive development areas, with 40% of the Victorian city, including many tenements, then being swept away. So, but by the 1970s, things were changing. So the best example of this is Annie's Loo. So Annie's Loo was where Mrs. Annie Gibbon, who lived at 10 Lewis Street in Govan, worked with her neighbors and students from Strathclyde University to show that it was possible to fit a bathroom into a bed recess. And when it was officially opened by Councillor Pat Lally on 10th of February 1972, this innovation caused a sensation and led to the birth of Glasgow's local housing association movement because it showed you could rehabilitate and refurbish the tenements. So, and on the back of this, you then get in the mid-1970s, middle-class tenement areas such as East Pollock Shields and Hindland being declared conservation areas. And suddenly by the 1980s, Glasgow's tenements are fashionable and desirable once more. So today we have two excellent guests to talk all things tenement. Our first up is Anna Sanchez, Visitor Services Supervisor at the Tenement House. The Tenement House is a very special property owned by the National Trust for Scotland. So Anna's role is varied and she covers volunteer strategy and training to collections, care and conservation. And she also plans exhibitions, events and special tours. So the Tenement House is a red sandstone tenement built in 1892 and is on Buccleuch Street in Garnet Hill. From the outside, it looks like an ordinary, middle-class, late 19th century tenement. However, when you step inside the flat, the four rooms appear as if frozen in time and provide a rare glimpse into life in Glasgow in the early 20th century. It was rented by shorthand typist Miss Agnes Toward, who lived in the flat from 1911 until 1965 and who carefully preserved all her furnitures and possessions with the utmost love and care. So, Anna, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So, first off, what can you tell me about the Tenement House, um, you know, from within? And what sort of tenement was the Tenement House? How common was it at that time to have the facilities that had such as an indoor toilet and an extra bedroom? What can you tell us about that? Well, the Tenement House is so unique in the way that it represents a way in which many people lived at the turn of the century in Glasgow. But it holds very personal stories of its inhabitants at the same time, so we have that dual narrative in the, in the property. Of course, tenements are still occupied today by a lot of people. I live in one myself. Um, so the stories that are happening in tenements are very much alive, and I feel like new chapters are constantly being added to, to that story. Um, the Tenement House is one of the most unique places in, in Glasgow. Um, I would say the best, but that's just me. <laughs> um, and it's a very special property indeed for the National Trust for Scotland. It's in the centre of Glasgow, as you said. And it was built as an upper middle class tenement. And for our records, we know that it was lived in by a professional working class. So the people that used to live in, it, in those um, tenements were working class, bankers, young families. We had a lawyer and a nurse at one point. Um, and so it's typical in its structure and layout to many other tenements in Glasgow, and it has many of the same quirks that tenements still share today. In terms of facilities, I think given its location and, and the people for it, um, and its inhabitants, um, it was already built with an indoor toilet and hot running water, which is quite luxurious for the time. Um, and it has three other uh, rooms, so we have a kitchen, a bedroom and a parlour. Um, 
It didn't have central heating, um, but instead it had fireplaces and gas lights, which are still in place today, and give a really atmospheric visit. And the rest of the original fittings are from 1892 as well. Um, we own four flats within the building, one of them being Miss Stowart's flat, which is the time capsule. Right, okay. Well, well, looking back at what her life was like there, and, you know, it's, it's incredible that she kind of preserved this entire flat in aspic, as it were, you know, which makes it such, kind of such a tribute to what it was when she first moved in. But at the same time, you know, the city is going through all these vast changes. So you've got, you know, and Garnet Hill in particular is, is you know, You've got sections of tenements, there are parts of it that are very recognizable, that, but then it just abruptly stops compared to what it was. So, so you know, how much has changed since Miss um, Toward lived in the tenement? Yeah, that's such a great question. So Miss Toward lived in the tenement house from 1911 to 1965. Um, so a lot, of it, a lot of things have changed since. Um, she lived through lots of changes that were quite interesting. For example, she lived through the 1918 pandemic. So she was my age when she lived through that, which I think is quite interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and her generation and everyone that was living in that tenement at the time went through things like coping with the uncertainty of a pandemic after a war. I mean, they went to two world wars while they were living in there, and it's, which is such an example of resilience. Um, and in terms of changes, they saw the subway being developed the Glasgow School of Art being built round around the corner. Um, and she saw the motorway changes specifically through Charing Cross, because that's where we're located, um, completely changing the trams. Um, and, 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 and she also experiences change where lots of um, residents of tenements were being relocated to other places and high rises um, due to the construction of the motorway. So the whole panorama changed. Um, but she also saw things like um, the Queen's coronation on the TV. Um, she has, um, we've kept in the property an amazing archive of all of the correspondence that she had, uh, which gives us insight into all of these changes that were happening in the city at the time that she was living. It must be fascinating to be able to read that uh, archive and kind of what she, what she recorded there. So are there other things as well that are worth teasing out from that? Yeah, I mean, um, her and her mother, so there's two women, basically, and they're both working women, which I quite like. Uh, the mother was a dressmaker, she was a shorthand typist, and they never made any major changes to the flat, but also they hoarded to all sorts of objects that we would normally throw away. Um, so Agnes... Um, they were both named Agnes, just to make our, <laughs> our lives easier. But um, Agnes the Younger, <laughs> she became a shorthand typist, and, which meant she often kept carbon copies of the letters that she sent, which is great because you get both parts of the correspondence here. And, and it's an amazing resource um, because, you know, um, that added to all of the newspapers, magazines, mm -hmm, receipts mm -hmm. that she kept really helps to paint a picture of the... Of, of life back then. That just sounds absolutely fascinating. So, uh, you know, look, looking at that then, do you think that living in a tenement now compared to what it was uh, during the first half of the 20th century, is it very different? Yes, <laughs> it's definitely. I mean, it's, it's, we're so lucky to have modern commodities that have allowed our roles and structures and families to evolve. Um, and in terms of things like um, hygiene, it's a big change. 
Um, I can control the heating and the lights of my flat from my phone. Can you imagine people back then like knowing this um, when they had to like not only like light the fireplaces or the range, but use gas lights if, if they were to know, right? Um, so no more coal ashes to clean and uh, no more clothes going through the mangle. I think we're unbelievably lucky. Uh, but at the same time, Visiting the tenement house and living in a tenement can really help you understand the architectural design of the of the buildings, and they're still loved and lived in and, and sought after because of these um, architectural features that are still quite handy for us today, like the border lights or the bow windows that you were referring before. Yes, um, yeah, very much. But I wouldn't like to share my toilet with all of my neighbors or have <laughs> <laughs> or have one on the garden. So yeah, definitely, I uh -huh. think I prefer now. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've been I've been there and done that actually. I uh, for for a wee while was living in a tenement in um, East Berlin, and this was in the early nineties. And we had a shared toilet or what Glaswegians would call a kludgy on the half landing of the stair. And do you know it was treated like a throne? that um, everybody, it was immaculate and you never left it dirty. And that everybody lining the walls of all of this, it was all postcards that people sent the toilet from all over the world. It's absolutely hilarious. So all these kind of, you know, wherever you went in the world, <laughs> you had to send the postcard back for the loo. So it was, it was quite fascinating to see, to see <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> okay, returning back to the tenement house then. How popular is it with visitors to Glasgow? How many, you know, before the pandemic, how many did you get every year? And how many volunteers do you have? So I am very lucky because I have a team of approximately 83 volunteers who cheer my wow. days with the best mm -hmm. stories. Many of them have either lived in a tenement or lived in a tenement and they share their love with our visitors about all things tenements and they are great and I love them and I've missed them terribly through this pandemic. Um, <laughs> and in terms of visitors on a non-COVID year, um, last year we had, well, the year before COVID, we had 26,000 visitors coming in from wow. all over the world um, to see, you know, this place because it's so mm -hmm. unique. Mm -hmm. When you visit a city, I think having the opportunity to really understand and see how people live back there. Um, back then, it's, it's definitely a, a joy. So we're really happy to be able to share that with people from all over the world. We have some people specifically from Australia and Canada that are kind of like mm -hmm. raising back their heritage and they want to see how their relatives used to live. So they're always really interested in seeing everything tenement related. And then we have people who just come for the, the signings, but maybe they are um, new proud owners of a tenement and want to understand the bed recess or sure. how it works. And then we just have families as well, which is quite nice. Um, my favorite is the, the grandparents when they come with the children, because it's such an interesting conversation. The grandparents have mm -hmm. the knowledge of, of the tenement there and everything, the way that they used to live. And it's just so yes. unique to see. Yes, yes, I can imagine. Um, I mean, it must be quite difficult having to deal with that. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, I'm in, in my tenement at the moment, if I had 26,000 people through my door every year, be an awful lot of wear and tear. How, how do you handle things like that? So, yeah, it's, it's like having when you have a party in your house and then after you need to clean. <laughs> it's like that every day. Um, well, we handle that with the love and care of our staff and volunteers who help us keep everything right. Uh, people are really respectful of the tenement anyway. Um, sure. But yeah, we love it. The more we, we do own for um, other three other flats in the building, so four in total. So mm -hmm. we can kind of like 
you make the most of the space there. Uh, but yes. yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of people in a tiny tenement. <laughs> yes, quite, absolutely. Why do you think people love the tenement house so much? Well, I think people love the tenement house so much because it's so near to everyone's hearts in the way that we pass tenements. If you live in Glasgow, you've passed the tenement every day. <laughs> or maybe you live in a tenement or maybe your granny lived in a tenement. So there's something that is just surrounding us and it's there and it's part of it's part of Glasgow. And when it comes to the tenement house, it has a very genuine voice. It's it's something people can really relate to because the contents of it, they're not really expensive. They're valuable to us because because of the stories they tell, but they're not like amazing. It's not an amazing collection of paintings or objects. It's more about things that you would have in your own house and the collection of it makes a really interesting life. Um, so yeah, I just I just think that are there are no barriers. It's just nice and immersive, um, and for me in particular, like I love it because it it shows the story from a woman's perspective. It was the home of two working women, and that's quite important as well. So I just think Very people much. love it because they can they can connect with it. So um, did did living in a tenement then involve a lot more shared responsibilities, such as the cleaning of the clothes or the rotor for the wash house? Yeah, it's funny because um, I've been seeing lots of really wonderful stories about neighbors um, right now that through the pandemic have been getting in touch with each other and maybe like revamping some of the spaces, the clothes or, or the gardens. And it really reminded me of the responsibilities that people share back then um, in the tenement house. So the neighbors would have had to have a rotor, like you said, to clean in the clothes and making sure everything was like spotless and people really took pride in having a really nice and look after the clothes. Um, and also the thorns for the wash house and drying their clothes and and I think there was a really like an important sense of a community back then that sort of like got lost in the way and I was coming back again and it's just lovely it's just lovely to see those stories coming back and um, if anything good has happened from this lockdown is that we've all been sharing more with our neighbors and just being a wee bit more mindful of them and like you know talking to them like 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 they've done on Cap Hill so that that's always really lovely to see. Well, many thanks, Anna. That was really fascinating. So now let me introduce our second guest, Alistair Burke from Camp Hill Gate. Now, Alistair has lived in Camp Hill Gate, which is a tenement on the south side of Glasgow, for 16 years. So he's a background in architecture, working as a project architect for 14 years for a large commercial practice, and now works as an illustrator designer under the name Hole in My Pocket. Camp Hill Gate is a 1906 B-listed tenement by architect John Nisbet and builder John McTaggart. It is located in Shorelands on the site of the historic Crossmaloof Bakery on Pollock Shores Road, just opposite Queen's Park and Langside Halls. And because it's located opposite the park, and so it doesn't have any buildings opposite, that means it can rise up to five stories, which is quite unusual in Glasgow. So it's red sandstone and has really good Glasgow style details on the building. So there are 12 shops along the ground floor and 24 flats above. And because it fronted onto a bakery, the building was the first tenement in Glasgow to be constructed from fireproof materials. So while it might look traditional, behind the sandstone it is in fact of concrete construction. So as there was no space for a, for a drying green, they had to incorporate it on the roof, hence the wonderful communal rooftop garden. From 2016 onwards, 
the residents started to investigate different ways to have the building repaired. So to help raise funds, they've done things like hold concerts, parties, and yoga classes up on the roof. So in 2017, the owners of Camp Hillgate successfully applied to Glasgow City Heritage Trust for a building repair grant to help restore their tenement to its original condition. So repairs include renewal of the asphalt mastic roof, reslating and renewal of the lead-clad finials and flashings to the saucer dome roofs, repairs to external stonework, repairs and renewal of mastic and decoration to the windows, renewing the close entrance door and repairs to rear doors, so renewal of the cast iron rainwater goods and soil vent pipes, and repairs and repainting of the decorative cast iron railings on the top of the building. So, Alistair, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me, Neil. That's a pleasure, Alistair. So first off, this is a difficult question. How difficult was it to get everybody else in all the three closes in the building on board with repairs? It was, it was tricky. It was, it was tricky. As, as you say, there's 24 flat owners and then there's 12 business owners. Well, 12 businesses, but not all of those businesses own the property. So then there's also the landlords of those properties as well to, to sort of navigate through the process. Um, I mean, it's been a long time coming. Most people have been fully supportive. There's been one or two who uh, didn't want to be spending money on, on something and they couldn't see the benefit of it. But I think we've managed to convince everybody now and we have near unanimous uh, involvement and thumbs up from everybody, I think. Absolutely. No, it's, 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 I, you know, I can appreciate how difficult that is and how it can be like herding cats. And I have enormous respect for you and your fellow owners that have managed to come together and actually do that and keep working on it because it is, it's, it's, a, it's a big task over all those years to just kind of keep going and keep working through it. So tell us more about what you're trying to repair and make better on the building. Well, as you said in your list, it's quite comprehensive. There's a lot of stuff needs done. Uh, when, I, when I first moved in the building in 2004, I noticed a few bits and pieces that were not looking their best. And with the centenary coming up of the building, so 1906 it was built, so 2006, I was looking, well, is there any bits and pieces we could repair? And the railings were in a bit of a sorry state, and we paid the company in to wirebrush down all the railings and repaint them. But actually, they came out and they cut through the main supports of the railings, so all the railings fell forward and were hanging over the over the road uh, so for the last 16 years 15 years we have had temporary scaffolding poles in place uh, to secure the railings so they, they are safe for people um, and so that's that's yeah so that was the first thing that kind of brought people's attention to the issues uh, but as we explored getting that done it proved quite tricky to get everybody on board and we were finding that maybe information that was being shared through the factors was not maybe directly being matched up per close per close so we started kind of talking talking together as a, as a group um, and we then hired um, the brilliant architect Fiona Sinclair conservation uh, genius and she produced a, a detailed a detailed report for us into what was needed uh, and the extent covers a lot of works that were previously repaired in the 1980s when it was part of that major refurbishment of the tenements that took place then. Yes, that's um, some, something that we come across a lot in our work. Yeah, um, and as you as you well know, the, there's a, the work was not always done to the best standards. Yeah, all, all, all done, done at, at once in too much of a rush and nobody learning from each other's mistakes because there wasn't enough time to learn from each other's mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it was great. They were giving out 90% grants for it, so I'm sure everybody was delighted. But, um, Quite. 
a lot of the stuff we, we've Fiona identified a lot of details were changed which have, have been impacting us so one of the major things is the 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 rainwater outlets and the rainwater pipes are all far smaller than the building was originally intended to have so i think the gutters are a third the size that they originally were and they were supposed to have big hoppers as well but actually we've only got i think i think it's an 85 mil rainwater outlet on our on our um, gutter so every single time it rains from the moment that work was done it, when it rains the gutters fill up they, they back up and they get onto the um, slab underneath the asphalt and then find their way through into all the top yeah. four flats. Yeah. So that's yeah. been proven it's a, it's, a, it's a major fuel poverty. This is a real issue in Glasgow because once you get the stone saturated, it just likes this, acts like a big sponge taking the heat out of the building. So that's that's a major issue around Glasgow. Yeah, so that, that's the thing that we're really noticing. All the top floor flats have ceiling damage. Some of the flats below them have also got ceiling damage as well because the water's been getting in but then maybe running down the inside face of the stonework and then finding its way out at the, the floor below as well. Um, so that's that's been that's that's helped us kind of convince everybody. It was a, it's a shame that we had it took until ceilings were collapsing to convince everybody of the need, but we got there. It's very difficult. Um, okay, tell me more about the the history of the roof itself as kind of a, as a social space. You know, when when did when did you start thinking about that, and how how has that evolved? Well, when I first moved into the building, the roof wasn't really used. There was one other flat I think used the roof. Um, but in fact, when I moved in, there was a broken fridge and an old bike with any wheels and a pile of rubble and stuff lying on the roof. Uh, so I cleared out, and then uh, so we we put some nice little plants and some decking down to protect the roof. Um, and then slowly over the years, more and more people have started to get to get used to it. Um, the roof is the really unique thing. That's the big selling point of the building. Oh, I mean, absolutely, the, the view is amazing. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. So from there, we we can see it across the whole of the west uh, and the south of the of the city. Unfortunately, the park's just a little bit too tall, so we can't see the east end. But we can't have everything. We do have a lovely <laughs> park to look out onto. Um, but that that's that has been a bit, real benefit to the building because I know all the people not only in my close but the two neighbouring closes because the, the building is over three closes that share share the roof, um, and you would never know them, but. Quite often you go up there in the summer and there'll be somebody sitting having a little barbecue or there'll be somebody playing a little guitar and you can go over and join them and have a little chat. Uh, and it just makes it feel uh, a special, safer place. Yeah, um, yes, I can imagine. But it was the, we were kind of spurned on by the, by the problems of trying to get some of the repair works carried out previously um, with all the information being passed directly through the factors. Uh, we found that a bit of a challenge. We started organising more regular meetups and we created a, a social media platform for us to be able to exchange things. And that brought every bit closer together and we realised we were more aligned um, in terms of what we needed to get done than we thought. But when we realised we were going to have to get, uh, when we realised how expensive it was going to be, we realised we were going to have to come to lovely people like your good selves to try and assist us. We thought, well, we need to be showing that we are trying our best um, to, to kind of uh, improve and look after this building. Uh, so that's when we started doing the the more social events. Um, sure, sure. So have you been collaborating with other organisations and company and, and, and companies, you know, in order to kind of achieve these events? And you know, as a consequence of that, would you say that you're now quite rooted as kind of an event space in the south side? Um, we 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 are. We get we get a lot of inquiries from people asking if we if they can use the space. Obviously, it's not open to the to the public. Um, we, we've worked with, uh, there's a couple of the people who live in the building. There's a lot of people who live in the building are connected through lots of different creative networks. There's a lot of 
artists and writers and musicians and stuff have lived in the building over the years. And we were able to call on some of them, uh, and including some a couple of people who work for the National Theatre of Scotland, and they were able to use their connections to get quite a lot of um, famous people to come and, and, and play. We had Catherine Joseph came and performed up there not long after she'd won album Scottish Album of the Year, and that was that was quite a stunning event. She, mm-hmm, she kind of mm-hmm. timed her singing perfectly as the sun set and the, the, <laughs> the horizon behind her. Um, uh, and we've worked with uh, a few different. We used the, we worked with the Open House uh, Arts Festival, and we converted a couple of the mm-hmm. flats into exhibition spaces to put on a couple of gallery shows. Um, we've done a couple of film showings as well. Yes, we we used it for looking up and looking out for tenement events. Oh, that's correct. So, which was which was good fun. We challenged trying, trying to find all the things around the roof for, <laughs> for folk to do surveys. Yeah, it was great, and the, the the flats as well were really really helpful for that. That oh, yeah, that was lucky, yeah, because we had one of the one of the flats had been empty for quite a while yeah. when you guys were looking to do that, and fortunately, it been relatively untouched, so uh, people were able to kind of get inside and see a lot of the original features in in pretty bad nick. It must be fair to say about that one, but but it's, that's now been um, that's now been renovated, and a young couple live in there. Right. So, what's your plans? You know, once once the repairs are done. Are you going to keep on doing these kind of events up on the, the roof? I think what we will definitely be doing is we we will keep doing the doors open day. We kind of feel we did doors open day the last couple of years and we had um, like a thousand people came through the door uh, on each day, which was kind of nuts for a very, very tiny team of volunteers. Uh, I'm sure how man. interested people are. Oh yeah, no, people loved it. We've had so many good, so we had the great, great, uh, we had the great, great grandson and great, great granddaughter of Sir jo- of um, John Nisbet, the original architect, wow, came right. out to the building, uh, and they were really touched because we that flat that you guys used, we at the first doors open day that was empty, and so we converted it into an exhibition space, and we had one room was full of um, original drawings of the building, one room had photos of the building throughout the, the history, because we managed to find a 1906 photograph from an edition of the Architects' Journal just when the building was brand new. So we've got a photo of the building and half the shops are un- uninhabited because nobody has yet moved into them, which is quite stunning. Uh, and then one other room we had um, a kind of history of the the two main men that were behind the building, um, John Nisbet, the architect, and uh, John McTaggart, the, the builder. Um, we have, we've also had been in touch with the great great grandson of Sir John Old McTaggart, who is Sir John Old McTaggart uh, Junior. Happily he, enough. Yeah, he um, <laughs> he very kindly wrote us a check. He's he's quite a wealthy man. That was uh, very generous of him. He he wrote us a check for two thousand pounds to gesture. help us. Uh, very nice. So, so we're going to use his money to make a a little plaque about the history and put it up on the building. Right, an interpretation pack. That's a great yeah. idea. That's that's really, really interesting. I didn't know you were doing that. It's fascinating. Yeah, the, the idea is we're going to do, above the three closed doors, um, we're going to do one about the before the building was there. So um, Neil um, Neil Thompson and the, the Crossmill Bakery and the history of what he tried to do in the area. The middle one about Sir um Sir McTaggart and uh, John Nisbet and about the period when the building was built and then the last one about what we have all been doing uh, and the future of the building because we've all been quite clear that like uh, we are just the, merely the people that live in the building just now like we own the responsibility for ensuring that a hundred years time there'll be another bunch of people who are trying to make sure that it's 
repaired and looked after for the next hundred years after that. Sure, absolutely. So do you think having been through all of this, and it's not over yet because the repairs are about to start on site. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you think that's kind, of, <laughs> that's kind of acted as a real kind of co- uh, co- cohesive thing that's kind of brought together everybody as a group of owners? Are you more of a community now? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 we were supposed to start before the pandemic and the fact it's all been dragged out for so long has, has caused a little bit more strain on things than I think we had. We had everybody lined up and we were kind of like, yeah, we're going for it. And then everything kind of uh, went down the pot a wee bit. And so we've had to <laughs> kind of get everyone rejigged back up to it. Um, yes. So now everyone's really excited. I'm sure. I'm not sure what they'll what they're going to make of living in a building site for a year. We'll see. See what they all <laughs> see their enthusiasm is at the end of that. I wish. I wish you luck. So, yeah. Okay. Be, uh, I'm sure it will be good. It will be like you know, um, Blitz Spirit. but the intention is as well as doing those three plaques that we will probably do doors open day for the next at least the next few years because we had so many donations i designed some prints and some mugs that we sold um, which are wonderful well thank you very much and we but all the people that came on those days uh or said oh when can we come back and see when it's finished so we we want to do it for the next few years at least once it's done we'll have everyone back for a a bit more of a celebration might make them all wear their slippers or something they'll just make sure the roof's kept in perfect condition (laughs) i have to say i can't can't wait to get back on and 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 be up on the roof again um once we can do a site visit i'm very very much looking forward to that when did you come up with the idea of coming together as a group i am that was that was post the centenary year, really. Is what that was when the, the kind of first starting threads happened. Uh, but it, it took a long time to kind of build into something. We tried to get the railings repaired over several years, but we kept failing because we couldn't get everybody on board. And then we tried to get the railings and the cupolas repaired because all three glass cupolas started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, each of them had panes of glass fall down the stairwells, so they needed yes. they needed some Fr- urgent repairs. Yeah, yeah, that was a large bang in the middle of the night that went I out can, the next I morning. I can imagine, yeah. Um, and, and so that kind of made us realise we needed to be... We needed... Because there's a lot of pressure gets... Oh, the factors aren't doing this, the factors aren't doing that. I think that we all need to take quite a lot of responsibility for it as well. It's like us, the factors are doing what we ask them to do. Yeah, exactly. And if we're not yeah. all speaking together with one strong voice and giving them clear instruction, then they, they are... Uh, it's, it makes it harder for them to do stuff for us. So that was kind of 20, 2011, 2012, probably is when we really started kind of having proper regular meetings and discussing getting Fiona involved. Uh, I mean, it's a long process. I mean, it's, it's probably 10 years in the making of us getting to this stage where we are, fingers crossed, starting on site in the not so near, uh, so far future. Um, but yeah, it's probably 10, 10 years ago is when we started getting together. But we've got more and more uh, we've we've got more and more close. Like we, we all we all went for Christmas dinner. Of like not last year, but the year before, <laughs> we booked out the Bell and Appley restaurant, and we all went down. There was like fourteen flats went down for dinner. That's really impressive. So therefore, do you think that having such a good relationship with your kind of fellow co-owners has made lockdown easier? Um, it has. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of people in the building, and we're a very cross section of society. So there have been there are a couple of people who do not believe in any of it and think it's all a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. So the, 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 there's 
yeah, it's been it's been fun. But the having the outdoor space and the 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 heat of the the the, the lockdown, the the very early stages. I mean, I don't know if we would have managed to survive without the roof garden to be able to escape to. Because mm-hmm. um, we could all go up there. We we all because normally we all kind of go to the same r- r- sort of rough areas, like three or four spaces. We all sit together communally. Yes, but yeah, yeah. because of that, we because we couldn't really do that. Everybody kind of sat in their own little spaces uh but you could go and stand and have a conversation because the roof's big there's loads of room to be able to to stand yes. back yeah, uh, yeah very stuff. much yeah so we didn't have any communal barbecues this year which we usually do but uh we, right. we we decided that was a bit unsafe this year but they'll be back we'll have a big celebratory one the uh, which we can invite you all to as soon as the building's repaired oh, that would be wonderful <laughs> so um okay right if i can bring anna back in again so I have a final couple of questions for both of you to kind of consider. Um, and the first of these is what parts of your tenement and the surrounding area would a person who moved in when it was first built still recognize? So Anna, do you want to go first there? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so what parts of, so I think from the inside, everything because it's the time capsule isn't it uh, so Agnes would have liked the at home however if she visited any of our other now owned flats within the building where we have exhibition space and they're all modern she would obviously be baffled I suppose um just by the by the inside of it um, and I know that many people many other residents on our building have converted their recess bed into like a small kitchenette and turned their kitchens into a bedroom so I think they will find that quite interesting um, in the in the inside. And then on the outside, um, everything has changed, hasn't it? Like with the motorway and Soki Hall Street and the rest of it. Um, yeah, quite a bit of time traveling, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, isn't it, Just? Okay, Alistair, what about you? Uh, well, as I was saying about the exhibition we have of the photos of the building throughout the years, we've got these really beautiful 1950s aerial shots of the surrounding area. So you can actually see what has changed or rather what has not changed. Uh, and I think from the from up on the roof, I would love to have seen photos of the view from the roof because I imagine the view will, for by and part, not have changed too much. Because when, you, when you're standing on the roof and looking out, mm, you can just mm. see all the mountains uh, and the hills in the distance. I mean, you can see Ben Lomond on a clear day. And that, yes. will, not, that will not have changed. Not much, anyway, in the, in the last <laughs> hundred years. Uh, but the, there are a few wee new things, like the Science Centre um, mm-hmm. Tower is there and stuff. But other than that, the view from that side, looking out... Uh, it's, it's probably changed more since the 1960s to kind of the early 2010s, because you'd have had... I mean, Glasgow at that point had more tower blocks above 20 stories than Moscow did. Oh, wow. So, and then, you know, so many of them have disappeared since then. So there actually has been quite a significant change in Glasgow, but it's, it's, it's weird because it's returning to what it once was. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of a low-rise city. So it's just quite intriguing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, so final question, and this is the loaded one. So what is your favourite building? And what would it say if its walls could talk? Anna? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think in Glasgow we're spoiled by choice. So, like, Neil, that's the hardest question ever. I obviously... (laughs) (laughs) We're so This is why it's loaded. (laughs) We always want to know where the answer is. We ask Um, everyone who comes to our office this question. I, I think... See, for me, I, I know it's, it's, it's going to sound quite obvious that I quite like the tenement house, but it's just because I quite like these 
message that everyone's story matters and you don't need to be royal or a celebrity mm, or a famous mm. person for your house and your way of living and your life to be like to matter and your heritage to be told and that's that's our whole message uh, at the Thurman House and and I quite like the you know preserving the stories and and like if walls could talk well I hope um that I hope that they tell like the story of how it began with two women and then over time is now loved by so many other people in Glasgow mm -hmm. which is amazing um so yeah and then if I had to kind of like chose one it would definitely be that one but it's so hard you see you have so many good ones like Holdmuth House is amazing as well like how can you choose don't make me choose <laughs> <laughs> see told you it was a tough question <laughs> Alistair do you want to have a go well yeah I'm, I'm the same the easy answer is your the one the one that's yours that you live in because this uh -huh. is my favorite it's a building great in the, in my, my <laughs> favorite one in the in the city i would say i mean that the roof garden is this perfect be idyllic mm. space mm -hmm. so i think if it was this building it would probably be like oh please make sure can you stop the water coming through my head thank you very much <laughs> would probably be but other than other than that tenement um, what's the name of the rebuilding in the city center that was almost got burned down last week because that's always been a little favorite mm, of mine it's a, it's a wee british linen bank yeah that's a, the wee british linen bank that's a gorgeous wee building and it's i get as a lot as such a charmer and yeah. I suspect it, as along with a lot of our buildings in the city are saying please don't let me burn down it's probably what yeah. it's saying yeah 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 it's got you know it's got dry rot wet rot you name it so it really needs some TLC. So yeah, it's one one we're working on with um, Civic Two One Five, the organisation ah, okay. that kind of use it as a meanwhile space in the ground floor. So, so um, yeah, we're working with them and Pageant Park Architects led team. Ah, okay. So, so fingers crossed that'll go somewhere because oh, we really genius. really want to see that one saved because it's just so charming. I'm glad I brought that one up then. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, both Anna and Alistair. That's been really really fascinating. And everybody else, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share and follow the hashtag if Glasgow's walls could talk. Thank you. If you want to know more about tenement maintenance or getting a grant with Glasgow City Heritage Trust, head over to our website or Google our friends at Under One Roof. The following message was submitted by a member of the public. If you want to leave a message about your opinions, memories and thoughts about Glasgow's historic built environment, have a look at our website to find out how. My whole family, granny and granddad, aunties and uncles, all stayed in the same street. I had 13 cousins to play with, never lonely. Christmas Day was magical, going round every relative's house to see what Santa had left. Glasgow City Heritage Trust is an independent charity and grant funder that promotes the understanding, appreciation and conservation of Glasgow's historic built environment. Want to know more? Have a look at our website at glasgowheritage.org.uk and follow us on social media at Glasgow Heritage. This podcast was produced by Inner Ear for Glasgow City Heritage Trust. This podcast is kindly sponsored by the National Trust for Scotland and supported by Tunnocks.